The teaching for this evening comes from Galatians 4:21 through 5:1. This is God's word. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has freed us. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. So, uh, we've been uh, away from Galatians for the past few weeks, and uh, we're going to continue our study in this letter uh, of the Apostle Paul that as we've been making our way through it, I keep saying that this is a letter that Paul wrote uh, about 50 AD. It's to a group of churches uh, in Galatia, which is most likely uh, around modern-day Turkey today. And um, so far, I just want to give you a, just a real brief summary of where are we in this book, since we have taken a break for a few weeks. In chapters 1 and 2, Paul laid out essentially what the gospel is. And the highlight of the first two chapters is in Galatians 2, verse 16, where Paul tells us that we know that no one is justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. That's the thesis of the whole letter. That we're not saved, rescued by our performance, but rather by Jesus and what he has done. And we enter into that through faith. And then chapters 3 and 4, Paul is arguing against false teachers in these churches that he planted. And time and again, we've noticed him go back to the Old Testament, most likely using the very same passages that the false teachers in these churches were using to undermine the very gospel that he had preached there. And we'll finish up with one of those passages tonight. And then chapters 5 and 6 are when Paul then takes the gospel and begins to show you how does this good news transform your life. And we'll begin that uh, next week. But tonight, we really end this middle section where Paul is again and again taking us back to the scriptures to prove that this gospel that he has been preaching is not a new one. In fact, it runs to the entire, entire book of the Bible from beginning to end. And as we come to this last section, the end of this middle section, we're again reminded in the very beginning, in verse 21, that the Galatians are struggling. This is a letter written to Christians who are struggling to believe that the gospel is really true for them. And in their context, that's coming because there are uh, Jews who have 
professed faith in Christ to some degree and have entered into those churches and have heard about this gospel that, that Paul is preaching who is saying, you are saved by faith alone. You do not have to become Jewish to be a Christian, to be reconciled to God. You don't have to be circumcised. You do not have to follow various feast days. You do not have to follow various food laws and purity laws to be saved. You're saved by faith alone. And they're struggling to believe that because they're being told, well, Paul's gospel is good as far as it goes, but it's not far enough. So if you really want to enter into the blessing of God that he promises from the earliest chapters of the Bible, you really do need to become Jewish. They're struggling to believe the gospel There are these other voices that are critiquing and challenging this good news. And I just want to pause right there and ask you, how are you doing? Do you find yourself this evening struggling to believe that what these pages in this book put in front of you are really true? Do you find, perhaps, that this message of grace, of forgiveness... It just falls flat. Maybe you've heard it again and again and again, and yet you find it unappealing, or perhaps you're rather indifferent to it. Or there are voices that are telling you, you know, this just isn't enough. Maybe those voices are in your own head. Maybe those voices are people at work. Maybe those voices are people in your own family. That you're not okay if this is all you cling to. You need something more. Is, is that you tonight? If you're anything like me, um, I find myself in that situation quite a bit. And so what I want to do is we're going to look at this passage just under three headings. We're going to look at the struggle to believe the gospel, the way back to the gospel, and then the way forward in the gospel. So let's start by looking at the struggle to believe the gospel. Notice again in verse 21, Paul describes his readers as you who desire to be under the law. You who desire to be under the law. This is, Paul is pinpointing their struggle. He's actually beginning to uncover their heart's longing, their desire, what matters most to them, where they're most vulnerable, where they're most insecure. And they are desiring to live under the law, under God's law. What God said you must do in the Old Testament through Moses. And yet, remember, Paul had spent time with these people. He had preached the gospel to them. He tells us in chapter 3 that Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified in front of you. And in fact, we read in chapter 4 that Paul had received from them their love and their welcome in the midst of his own illness and anguish and suffering. These are people who loved Paul, and he loved in return, and they enjoyed communion and fellowship around this good news, and yet they are longing to go backwards, to live under the law. And in a way, I think we could say that if you step back from that, that phrase, to desire to live under the law, really, you could apply that to any one of us. 
who struggle to rest in grace and so often prefer to fall back on our performance or our record, how we're doing. To sort of bring that phrase of a desire to live under the law into the present. Just think of the times that you self-critique, you self-accuse, you self-condemn, or think of the amount of times in your day you do that to other people. That's living under the law, desiring to live under the law. It is living your life in such a way that you are striving and trying to meet a standard so that you can know you're worthy, that you're okay. This, this is the underlying problem of the Galatians, and I would argue this is the underlying problem of our lives too. And so, Paul, what does he do? Paul pinpoints why this is the problem. He pinpoints why the gospel goes mute in their lives. Why now it's no longer the voice that's the loudest, that's the most appealing, the most glorious, the most precious. And now one obvious reason would be that there are these voices to the contrary, the the, the false teachers. But notice what Paul says here. The reason that Paul gives that explains why this gospel goes mute. He says in verse 21, Do you not listen to the law? What he's saying here is that he, he identifies that listening to God's word, and not just hearing it, but understanding it, taking it into the very center of your life, understanding what God's story of rescue truly means for you, See, the Galatians were beginning to hear a different story from God's story. They were beginning to believe that that story of grace and blessing and mercy really must not be the whole story. I must contribute something in order to make this story work. And Paul is saying, have you not listened to the law, to what God has said, to his story And the the implication of Paul's question is simply this, that the Bible is not a story about striving and proving. It's a story about God's promises to bless you in Jesus. Another way to think about this is the Galatians were beginning to think that God's good news is really about them. And Paul is saying it is not first and foremost about you. That's a very simple truth, but it's one you have to come back to again and again to understand, to listen to God's story, to his word. It's kind of like this. Think of, um, it's like telling someone that you love them. You have to tell someone that you love them an, an, an exponential amount more than anything negative that they may hear. You have to tell someone that they, you love them far more times before they will begin to hear it and believe it and accept it. Then they will remember one negative comment. It's far easier and more common for us to lay, lay hold of negative comments or criticisms or hurtful comments. Those stay with us a long time. It's far harder to believe when someone says, I love you. You matter to me. 
That's what Paul is trying to help us to see in this letter. That it is far harder for us to believe that there is such a thing as salvation by grace. Far harder to believe that than that you cannot, of your own effort, rescue yourself. That's actually far easier for us to believe even though it's total lie. And Paul is trying to help us to see that. And so what should we do? How do we navigate this struggle to believe the gospel? To show us the way back to the gospel, Paul again takes us back into the story of the Bible, to the story of Abraham. And he does it in order to help us to hopefully recalibrate our hearts with God's grace. So look here in verses 22 to 27. Paul here, he draws an analogy between the situation in Galatia and the story of Abraham. Look, he begins with Abraham, who had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, it's important to know, any Jewish person would know the names of the people that Paul is referring to. But Paul doesn't bring in the names of Sarah, who here is the free woman, or Hagar, Sarah's uh, Egyptian slave, who is here referred to as the slave woman, or even the two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And the reason is he's trying to show us a principle. He's trying to show us from this story something that is true about the gospel from the beginning and to the end of the Bible. Here, Paul Essentially, here's what he's saying. I'll tell you, this is a complicated bit in Paul's letters. I'm just going to kind of assert this, and hopefully it'll be clear. Here, the slave woman, who is Hagar, she represents, she corresponds to what Paul says in verse 25, Mount Sinai, which if you think back, into the book of Exodus after God brought his people out of Egypt. Sinai is where God gave Moses the law. Hagar represents, she corresponds to Mount Sinai when God gave his people his law. But she also corresponds to the present Jerusalem of Paul's day. And what he means by this is Hagar corresponds to the false teachers. Those in Jerusalem who would say that salvation is not by free grace alone, in Christ alone. On the the other hand, there's a contrast here. Sarah, Abraham's wife, she corresponds to what Paul here calls the Jerusalem above, or the heavenly Jerusalem, or think where Jesus is, where God dwells in the flesh, in Jesus that Sarah, she corresponds to the gospel of free grace. Now, you can see these contrasts when you, think, when you notice that you have words like slave opposed to free. Slavery in contrast with freedom. Or you can look at, in verse 23, the contrast between one son who's born according to the flesh. In other words, by human effort. Contrasted with born through promise, that is, by God's commitment to his promises. There's a contrast. 
And Paul calls these two contrasts, these two women, two covenants. Think of it like this. Two totally opposite ways of thinking about salvation. One either of works or one that is by grace. And Paul, in drawing this analogy, he's highlighting something for us. He's helping us to understand how to read the whole Bible. He's highlighting a principle that runs throughout Scripture, that there is a total contrast between salvation by works and salvation by grace. Put it another way, what Paul is saying is the true gospel is nothing new. This is not a New Testament thing. In fact, Paul, earlier in chapter 3, he, he wrote, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Paul is helping us to see, and especially in the midst of the controversy and challenges that these Christians were facing in these churches because of the false te- teachers, that the gospel he's preaching is nothing new. And what they're hearing is actually a deviation from God's story of rescue. And so the way back to the gospel is looking for God's grace to those who aren't good. To those who know even that their best efforts aren't enough. You see, Hagar is an illustration of human effort. If you go back into that story not because she's at fault so much as how the whole story plays out, God had made a promise to Abraham that he would bless the nations through him. But Abraham and Sarah had no children. And throughout the story, you begin to wonder, is God going to come through on this promise? And they begin to realize or they begin to think, I don't know if this is going to happen. And so Abraham and Sarah begin to say, well, we need to do something about this. And so Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham. And Hagar gets pregnant by Abraham and has a son, Ishmael. In other words, it's an, it's an illustration of how we try to get what God has already promised by our own efforts. That's what Paul is trying to help us to see. The whole story of the Bible is full of these examples of God's people or people who are not God's people trying to rescue themselves in their own, by their own efforts. And he concludes this, this scriptural story, this case study, with a quote here in verse 27. This comes from Isaiah 54, verse 1. Now, that, that passage is written to God's people in exile 1,200 years after Abraham, about 600 years before Paul. That's written to God's people who have made a mess of things. They've been cast out of the promised land. They're not home. They have rebelled against God. They've rejected him. They've dismissed him. And these words come right after Isaiah 53, which is perhaps one of the most trenchant penetrating passages in the Old Testament that gives us a window into Jesus, the suffering servant. And God begins this beautiful chapter in Isaiah with rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. 
For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. What's he saying here? To his original readers, Paul is saying there is grace for the barren one. There is grace for the desolate one. There is grace for those who cannot rescue themselves. See, Paul is essentially saying the Gentiles are like the barren woman. They have nothing to offer. And God has every reason to not accept them. And Paul is saying, I'm one of those too, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul here is in this quote from Isaiah 54. He's giving the Gentiles hope. He is saying, hey, look, what, what this, in a very poetic way, this passage tells us is that if salvation is by works, then it's only the fertile who can have children, who can have life, who are of any value. But Paul here is, in this quote, he's showing us that, no, God flips everything upside down. Then he makes the barren fruitful. He makes the desolate flourish. This is what some have called the upside-down character of the kingdom of God. See, Paul's whole point here is that if the gospel is true, it doesn't matter who you were or who you are. God's salvation is for those who are not good and only for those who are not good. And it's only for those who know they are not good. That's what Paul means when he asks, do you not listen to the law? Do you not understand God's story of rescue. In fact, as we move not away from the way back to the gospel, to the way forward in the gospel, Martin Luther, who was a, a great German reformer, he would always say that the default mode of the human heart is works righteousness. Which is to say, the default mode of the human heart is to look to your own effort or intentions to establish your worthiness. This was the problem that Paul was dealing with in Galatia. And it's the same problem that you and I have to discover. You have to see this. If you don't see this in your life, you will not understand the gospel. You will not truly understand what grace is. So what are you to do? In these last few verses, Paul, he moves to apply this analogy in the previous verses to the Galatians, and he offers us three, three directions for resting in what God has done in Jesus. First of all, the way forward in the gospel, notice Paul says, he tells us to remember who you are. Look in verse 20, 20, 28. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Abraham's son Isaac was the son of promise. Not because of what Abraham or Sarah did or didn't do, but because God had promised to bless him and through him to bless the nations. And what we've seen previously is that Jesus is that promised seed, that promised son. Come for sinners. And Paul is saying, remember 
who you are. Let me just remind you from a few passages we've read already uh, as we work through this book. In, in chapter 3, verse 29, Paul writes, if you, are in, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Chapter 3, verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Chapter 2, verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. One of the prevailing themes up to this point in this letter is, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Think of it like this. Um, When someone asks me, you know, about my life, who are you? You know, I was born in Ann Arbor, Michigan in 1974 to Bill and Kitty Spokes. I grew up there, went to high school there, played a variety of sports, went off to college first to California, then to North Carolina, ended up in Philadelphia where I was in seminary, where I got married to Meg, my wife, ended up having four boys. Now I'm a pastor. He just raised his hand. Um, That's who I am. Those are all part of who I am, my identity. But Paul is trying to tell you to remember who you are means, but who I most truly am is I belong to Jesus. That's who you most truly are. That's what you must remember. You must remember who you are. But secondly, Paul helps us to see, don't be surprised when your gospel identity clashes with other identities. Look here in verse 29. But just as at that time, now again, he's still back referring to the story of Abraham and um, Ishmael and Isaac. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, that's Isaac, so also it is now. In other words, remember, he's drawing an analogy between that story and the situation in Galatia. To put it this way, those born according to the flesh, he is referring to as the false teachers in Galatia. Those born according to the Spirit are the Christians, those who are, belong to Jesus. And what he's saying is, don't be surprised if this new gospel identity brings you in conflict with other identities in your life. Whether they be real, like that you really are a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or a friend or a son or a daughter. Or whether they be imagined, an identity that that you wish you had, or maybe it's expected by other people. A gospel identity will come in, in conflict with that. But then he also says, not only to remember who you are, don't be surprised, but then stand firm. And why does he say stand firm? Look in chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. You can stand firm in who you are, not because of you, but because of what Jesus has done. He has set you free. He has set you free from your expectations and standards from everybody else's expectations and standards you are now worthy you are beautiful you are accepted you are free in Christ so stand firm in other words when Paul says here in verse 
30 says, Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Paul is saying, again, he's referring to the false teachers, do not buy into another gospel, another way to flourish, another way to get blessing. Stand firm, because Jesus has come. He became a curse for us. Jesus was born under the law. Remember at the beginning, Paul says, you who desire to live under the law, Paul already has told us that Jesus came, he was born under the law to redeem us who were under law. You're set free. So let me, let me finish with this question again. Are you struggling to rest in this gospel of grace? Or perhaps are you resistant to accept it because of other voices in your life or ways you've previously heard the Bible explained, maybe? And I would tell you that either way, what this passage is intended to do, Paul is inviting you, he's inviting us to let God's story of redemption remake us, to reshape us, to reform us, our desires and our loves until we are lost in love and wonder and praise at what God has done for us in Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that as we continue to work our way through this letter and again and again hear about Jesus and also the struggle to believe what is actually true according to what you say, we pray that you would help us to receive this good news. We pray that when we read in your word that you love sinners, that that would sink in deeply. And that all of the accusations from either within or from without, all of the pride and the insecurity would begin to lose its hold. And all that would be left is this beautiful pronouncement that in Jesus we are loved, that we are free, that we are sons and daughters And I pray that that good news would lead us to sing with joy and pleasure and delight, and it would change us from the inside out. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.